Good morning, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much to you, Jono, for those three handy tips to add on top of Cass's and that other gentleman that was the week before. I appreciate that immensely. Uh, thank you to Chris for doing worship from home as well. It's a great blessing. What's really interesting is how we as people respond and express our responses in different ways. Yesterday was a protest. It was a, an expression of frustration with the lack of certainty and just with everything that seems to be going on within society today. So it was expressed in this protest that went down. But we also have positive expressions. A few years ago, uh, John O'Caris, my wife and I, we went to see The Lion King at the Capitol Theatre. And the appreciation of that performance was expressed in our laughter and our enjoyment of what was doing, what was happening up on stage and, and, and with our applause at the end of the play. And that happens often. We, we do this often. We express something always in response to something else, whether it be the, the, the fist pump when you score the last point, whether it be the sigh of relief when, when there's an overcoming of a particular situation, whether it might be the, the, the triumph, the screams of victory when you overcome various obstacles, or, or even just the amazement that takes place when the unbelievable happens. Such expressions are a part of life. And as I said, they always seem to take place in response to something else, when something else has taken place. Now, for you and I, as the children of God, we have had the greatest of all things taking place in us when God in his grace... God in his mercy, when we were yet sinners, when we were enemies of God, he sent his son to die for us. He sent his son to take upon himself the consequence of sin, which is death, and gave us in his death life. And we, in turn, have the privilege to express our appreciation and our gratitude for that gift. The response that is actually, I guess you say, the expressions that we have the privilege to partake of in response to that wonderful gift of salvation in Jesus. And, and these expressions make up our church's core value today. The core value number nine, which is prayer and worship what I've titled The Expressions of the Church. So grab your Bibles, bow your heads, and let's, let's ask of the Lord to take us through his word today as he ministers to our hearts, especially in these tumultuous times. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for this privilege to come into your presence and to ask of you for grace and help in our time of need. Father, we pray now as we look into your word that you might minister to our hearts, that you give us a clarity of vision to behold you and the work that you are doing and how your hand is moving in each of our lives regardless of our circumstance. So we commit this time to you now and ask that by your spirit you will minister, you will teach, you will convict, and you will change our hearts. Help us to see you above all else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our ninth core value states this. Prayer and worship, personal and corporate prayer and worship 
undergird all we do and is expressed in our lifestyle. I want to read that again. Personal and corporate prayer and worship undergird all we do and is expressed in our lifestyle. From this core value, we're going to look at three things. One, what they are. Two, what they do. And three, what they indicate. Okay, first one, prayer and worship, what they are. Prayer and worship. Chuck Swindoll said this, quote, To meet with God, to linger in his presence, to shut out the noise of the city and, in quietness, give him the praise he deserves. Before we engage ourselves in his work, let's meet with him in his word, in prayer, and in worship. There are books, there are sermons, there are conferences, there are lectures explaining and teaching the importance and the necessity of prayer and worship. And we are so accustomed to these topics, we are so accustomed to these words that we have sometimes lost the awe and the wonder of the privilege that has been given to us. And it is here that I want to begin. It's here where I think we need to have our perspective changed in how we view prayer and in how we view worship. You see, both prayer and worship are honors graciously bestowed upon us when we become, by faith, the children of God. Let me clarify. If prayer is known as talking to God, We are not only granted the blessing to enter into the throne room of grace and ask for help in time of need, but also to be heard by him. Um, If you look at Esther, when she had to go into the king's presence, she asked all of the nation of Israel to pray and fast for her. Why? Because if she entered the throne room without being summoned by the king, she could have been killed. The king had to hold out his scepter and allow her to touch it before she would give, or he would give her an audience. Praise God, we don't have to do that. We are told we can enter confidently into his throne room. And that the scepter that has been outstretched to us is the person of Christ, and it's on his authority, the authority of Jesus Christ, we get to approach God himself. I mean, that's what Hebrews 4.16 is all about, about the grace, not only to to approach him, but to ask for help in time of need. And then I am told that not only can I approach him and ask, but that then I am heard. I am heard by the creator of the universe. That's what Jeremiah 33.3 states. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not and in like manner we have been given this blessing of worshiping God and that we can worship him in spirit and in truth and that he is seeking and according to John chapter 4 23 and 24 he is seeking for worshipers such as these those who worship him in spirit and in truth and not only are we given that privilege to come to him and worship him, but that he also receives that worship. He willingly accepts that worship. If, if you've got your Bibles, look at Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 30, 41. I'll read, I'm reading from the CSB. 
It says this, when I bring you from the peoples and gather you from the countries you have, uh, that you have been scattered, this is what I like, I will accept you as a pleasing aroma and I will demonstrate my holiness through you in the sight of all nations. Think about that, that when we come into his presence, he on the authority of Christ once again accepts us willingly. This is the creator of the heavens and the earth. The creator of the heavens that declare the glory of God. The earth that proclaim his handiwork. He who is holy and preeminent. He who is righteous and just. He who, if any man looked upon him, would die according to Exodus 33. He is the one who has provided a means where... You and I can be called his son and daughter, that we can address the transcendent, holy, mighty God as Father. Thus, if we can see how precious a position we have been placed in as individuals and as a church, to have the ear of God inclined to us, to be recognized by him and be acknowledged by him as his child, then, then we, if we can grasp this, then we can say, along with Job, and he says, what is mankind that you make so much of them, that you give them so much attention? If you want to make that personal, what, is, what am I that you make so much of me, that you give me so much attention? that I can pray and you hear, that I can worship and you receive. If we could grasp this, then it might help us have a greater appreciation of these gifts of expression, of these gifts of prayer and of worship. But you see, it's, it's an idea that has been ignored greatly by the church. And the reason why I say this is because it is evident by how little genuine prayer and genuine worship takes place. And, and that's the condemnation that we fall under, by expressed by in our personal lives and expressed as a corporate church. How little prayer, genuine prayer and true worship actually takes place. Because when I say prayer, I'm talking about the intimacy that is shared of being in God's presence. As I've, I've quoted before Jim Simbler who said, do you pray or do you say prayers? And I think a lot of us as Christians, we say prayers. But it's about communing with him, of meeting with him. Prayer is not a formula that you follow or a recipe to complete in order to bring about a desired result for you or desired result from God. Nor is prayer about me expecting to receive from him because I asked him in a certain way. You see, prayer is about, according to Bill Hybels, prayer is about aligning my heart, my will, my desire with God's heart, God's will, 
and God's desire. It's about bringing my whole being in line with God's being and with what God desires to have take place. It is why he says in James, you do not have because you do not ask God. But when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you might spend what you get on your pleasures. James chapter 4, 2 and 3. And conversely, it's also why in 1 John 5.14 we are given this promise though, that this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So when you see the, the numerous exhortations or the numerous examples and the numerous commands to pray, it's about being with the person. It's about interacting with him. It's not about you saying a list of things expecting to get. This is why Jesus, when he says in Luke 18.1, he told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. As he talks about persistence in prayer, and you and I know this, that we'll pray for something, maybe for a week, and then we'll think, okay, that's, I've done my bit. Persistence, the, the persistence in prayer isn't there because we don't see it as valuable as it really is. It's why we're told by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray always, as well as Paul clarifying the aspects of prayer in Philippians 4.6. 4, he says, instead of worrying in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And as previously mentioned, this is why we can do such things because as Hebrews says, we can approach God's throne with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Hebrews 4.16. With the fact that prayer is a privilege given to us as believers, we appear to be doing very little with it. Partly because we fail to see the value that prayer plays in our lives. And to take an illustration from Pastor Tony Evans from the, uh, from the Urban Alternative, he says, we view prayer as a vending machine that we put our coins in to get what we want. And so we put in our coins of asking in Jesus' name. We put in our coins of, of, of maybe appropriating various repetitions. Uh, we put in our coins of even maybe living a, a particular life or doing particular acts. We put in these coins with the expectation of getting what we want. But that's not what prayer is because when we don't receive what we want, then we chuck it all in and think, well, God doesn't care or God doesn't love me or God's not doing something in particular that I want to see happen. You see, Prayer is not him being a vending machine and I manipulate him to do what I desire. Rather, prayer is about me coming into the Heavenly Father's presence with a desire for his will to be done. It's about me coming to ask of him, as Jesus says, who will give good gifts to those who ask him. You see, prayer is about us asking according to God's will, so when we ask, we have the understanding that it is God's will be done, 
not my will be fulfilled. That's why we need what they are. Prayer is about God's will being done as I come into submission for him. And in like manner, worship is very similar. We sing songs of praise. We sing songs of exaltation, of, of thanksgiving. We, we sing songs of blessing. But for many of us, that is all we do to define worship as singing when there is so much more to that word. If you look at the definition in the dictionary of the word worship, we read this. It means reverent honor, homage paid to God, or a sacred personage. Forgive my pronunciation. In this dictionary definition, you can see, yes, I can see how paying homage to God and reverent honor can be manifest in singing. But that can be expressed in so many other ways. You can pay homage to God in the way you treat your spouse at home. You can show reverent honor in how you raise your children. You can show that same reverent honor and pay homage to God as you lead by a godly example in your workplace, as you, as you treat your neighbors, as you conduct yourself even with the uncertainties of today. One can show reverence to God by taking the calling of God in your life seriously. I had the privilege of sitting in on Zoom with um, Jono and Carissa's Bible study group. Uh, Grace led the study. She did a very good job. And they were looking at Samson. And one of the funniest things about Samson wasn't funny, but one of the most interesting things about Samson is that he did not take his calling from God seriously. He played games with it continually. Even when it came in, in chapter 16, when he had his, his hair, his seven dreadlocks, I, I call them dreadlocks, his seven dreadlocks cut off. He was playing games the whole time. And while he was playing games, when his, hair, his head had been shaved, he got up and he, he thought God was still with him because he'd been playing for so long. We're not about playing games. We've got to take the calling that God has placed in our lives no matter what role it may be no matter what circumstance that is in and by taking that calling seriously we can show reverent honor and homage to God as we live lives of worship by walking in obedience by by being led by his spirit by being submitted to his will you see I encourage you this morning Brothers and sisters, take some time to reconnect with the Lord in prayer, of talking with him, of hearing what he has to say, not only from his word, but as you just spend time, as you be still and know that he is God, allow him to minister to your spirit and, and worship and allow those times to be moments to be with God in his presence, to be with him. Not to see it as a chore to complete, as a checklist to be marked off so you can get on with your day, but actually spend time with him because that is the privilege he has granted to you. He has allowed you to worship him and he accepts that worship because of Jesus. He has allowed you to enter his throne room in prayer because of Jesus. If we can change our perspective and realize how much of an honor has been bestowed upon us, then that in turn will be reflected in our lives. 
Because if we start there as individuals and corporately as a church, then we look at what they do. What is it that they do? They undergird and they strengthen our lives. So I saw a title on YouTube was, Was Roman Concrete Better? And it was a, it's a, it's a, an engineering, I'm not an engineer, but it was an engineering YouTube channel. And this gentleman was talking about making concrete. And he emphasized that modern day concrete uses a lattice, a, a lattice of steel to reinforce and to strengthen the concrete. Because the, the steel, if, if you've ever seen form, form work is the wood that they have around, whatever it is, then they have these these bars, these steel bars that are laid down there, that's the lattice, that's the, that, that, that they have for reinforcement. And then they pour all the concrete on top of it to give it something to hold to it, binds it all together. Now, if I was to sort of liken concrete being poured into, say, the framework, if I was to liken that to my Christian activity, the formwork itself, the, the, that would be my life. Then the lattice, the, the reinforcement, that would be considered as prayer and worship. So, as my Christian activity is, is filling my life, it has to be reinforced and strengthened through prayer and worship. They undergird and they reinforce all that we do as a follower of Christ. Because both prayer and worship do the same thing when properly understood and applied. What do they do? They both change our focus from self to God. They both reveal our need for God to move, for without Him we can do nothing. And they both magnify the reality of our insufficiency and our need and our reliance on Him. That's what they both do. You and I both know and have experienced the joy of worship as a body of believers, of how corporate worship with the saints takes you away from your distractions, takes you away from your worries, takes you away from your difficulties that the world holds and transports you into his presence. The blessing of hearing Chris sing those songs this morning, even then, just, just being consumed with who God is. That's what worship does. That's what prayer does. It helps create a, a true spirit of prayer that places you in a connection with the Lord Jesus himself as he communes with your spirit, as he speaks to your soul, as he calms your tortured minds, as he brings a peace that passes all understanding. One such moment, uh, I remember when we're at Blacktown, and in my, when my daughter was in the hospital in the ICU and, and my brother Jono came, uh, him and Chris came along to show their support, which was a great blessing. And I remember, I re, I remember this quite distinctly. We went into a side room and uh, I, was, I was broken. And my brother Jono, we just prayed. And I remember I just crying as I prayed. And I remember my brother Jono came next to me and he put his arm around me and he just prayed just openly and, and honestly prayed. You know, he doesn't realize this, but that had a huge impact on me, on, on taking me where I was and, and the hurt and, the, and, the, and the, just my, my lostness of soul, my weakness, my failures, everything I felt. And as he prayed, I, my, my mindset went off me and how I was feeling. 
And even though the situation didn't change, it placed my vision on him, on who God is. That's what prayer and worship do. If you look at Psalm, these Psalms here, Psalms 18, 57, 59, 63, 70, and 142 are all Psalms that are attributed to David as he was running away from King Saul. His situation was dire, but the common theme in all these Psalms is that while he was being chased, while his situation wasn't, cha- wasn't changing, his focus was changed. That as he wrote these Psalms, they changed his perspective and it went from him to his creator. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 142. I chose one of the shorter ones. I wasn't going to read all of one eight, uh, Psalm 18. But you see this. I'm reading from the CSB. In Psalm 142, there are seven verses, and this is his prayer. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I plead aloud to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. I reveal my trouble to him. Although my spirit is weak within me, you know my way. Down to verse 5, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my shelter, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am very weak. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong. Free me from prison so that I can praise your name. His circumstance didn't change, but his perspective did. It's the same instance, turn to Psalm 3. The exact same thing happens when he's being chased by Absalom, his son. And you read in this, I'll just read a few verses. In Psalm 3, he says, You, Lord, are a shield around me in my glory and the one who lifts my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord, save me, my God. His, his, his situation didn't change, even when being chased by his son, but his perspective did. This is what they do. This is how prayer and worship undergird every aspect of our lives and strengthen it and reinforce it is because it takes our focus off us and places it upon him. Just like David, when we make the choice to reinforce and to undergird and to strengthen our lives through genuine prayer and through true worship, it may not necessarily change our circumstance, but it will change our perspective toward it. Why? Because our focus is upon him who is the glory and the lifter of my head. It's upon my Lord who is my shield and my buckler, upon my God who holds me firmly in his hand and that will never allow me to be plucked from it. That is what they do. That is what they are supposed to do. If we, if we, as his people, spend time in his presence in prayer and in true worship. Because what they indicate, what they indicate for us, if prayer and worship and what they do is strengthen and undergird, uh, sorry, strengthen and reinforce, then what they indicate is this, a genuine relationship that is present with the almighty God. That is what they indicate. That you know him, but also that he knows you. 
that there is this understanding that you are the son and the daughter of the Most High, that you know that he will never leave and forsake you. And what, that's what happens. They indicate an understanding and they indicate a humility that we are given this amazing opportunity. You see, I, I'm not a math person. I find math very, very difficult. And especially when it comes down to giving a question, even if you know the answer, that's not good enough. You need to be able to show how you reach that answer, how you solve the problem, not just get the answer right. In our Christian lives, a life undergirded with genuine prayer and true worship, it indicates that you and I have an understanding, a genuine understanding of the gospel and in our connection to, to the gospel. We have a genuine understanding of who God is and how we can only be connected with him through Jesus Christ. That we understand the truth communicated in the word of God, the good news that is the power of God unto salvation. That that salvation is by grace through faith and that not of yourselves, that it's the gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. That according to Titus 2.11, that the grace of God that has appeared to all men, that offers salvation to all of us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy, that he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, according to Titus 3.5. You see, in genuinely, sorry, in truly understanding the gospel results in genuine humility because you know that there is nothing in you, that there is nothing that could be done by you, that nothing could be done to, be, to purchase or earned or manipulated by you that could gain God's forgiveness for your sin or God's acceptance for your person. That is only through Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection that this opportunity to be made right with God is possible. It is only through Jesus. It's got nothing to do with yourself. Now, I, I know I've said this before. Tim Keller, uh, one of the great sermons I heard by Tim, Tim Keller because it spoke to my heart, how he says how every religion in the world promotes what you can do in order to gain God's favor. What you can do in order to gain God's acceptance. The deeds to be done, the, uh, the actions in order to earn, the, the conduct to achieve the divine. Every religion in the world promotes a level of human goodness that will gain you divine status that you can be good enough. And then Keller goes on to say, how the whole thing about biblical Christianity, the whole thing about the gospel, is that you're not good enough. That you, that you are separated from God because of your sin. That there's nothing you can do to change that. And that none of your human effort can amount to anything to change a de deceitful and, and desperately wicked heart. The Bible teaches that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing and that I cannot save myself. I cannot change myself. I cannot cleanse myself. That is why God stepped into humanity by becoming Jesus. The whole thing about Christianity is that we are not good enough and that we need help, that we need to be saved from our sin that condemns us. And that is why Jesus came. And when I understand the gospel as it is reflected in the person of Christ, then I in turn will show my thankfulness, show my appreciation, have my expression 
done not only in a life of obedience, but in a life of worship. Not only in a life of talking to God, but in prayer, talking with God. That's, that's the difference. And so this is, this is what I want us to take on board as we, we look at this core value today, is that we have been given the greatest of privileges to have the ear of God inclined toward us, that as we cry out to him, he hears. That as we meet with him, he meets with us. Draw near to me and I will draw unto you. That's the promise of Scripture, that when we take a step forward, he takes a step forward toward us as well. How, what, a, an amazing, what an amazing position to be in. And so we then, in turn, must make the best use of what we have been given. Uh, Pastor Tony Evans, once again, stresses that everything visible and physical is preceded by something invisible and spiritual. Therefore, if you want to address the visible physical result and effect, you must identify the invisible spiritual cause. Without identifying the invisible spiritual root, you are going to be thrown off by the visible physical fruit. Now, we've been locked down for how long now? Three, four weeks, about a month? We locked down for a month. We have been made available to us prayer and worship. That's our ninth core value states. Therefore, when we look, and do I like these lockdowns? No. Do I like the fact that I'm meeting only with three people here in person? If we're allowed three people. Two people, maybe one, I don't know. Sorry. But I'm meeting with my team, my production team here. Okay, I'm meeting with the production team here. But here's the thing. We are told... Biblically, not to forsake the assembling of the house together. And right now, churches Australia-wide have been closed down because of these lockdowns. We are no longer able to meet in person, which is a direct contradiction of Scripture. Now, I'm not saying protest. I'm not saying, you know what we can do? We as a church can pray. We as a church can cry out to our God and ask him to bring this to an end. Not once, not twice, but to spend time consistently in prayer and asking that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if he has allowed this to take place, then so be it. But the best way to fight what's going on is to fight on our knees. Is to be in prayer as a church, corporately, and asking God to bring this about. Because the enemy is loving this. The enemy is loving that we're not gathering here in person. The enemy is loving that even when the opportunities to meet online, whether you've been invited or not, are not being taken. The opportunities of spending together, just fellowshipping, the, the opportunity to contact people and, and, and say hello. The enemy is loving that right now. And we can fight against such things as we seek him in prayer. Because I, I recognize that there are spiritual forces at work that are preventing us from meeting together. But we can still meet online. We can still call people up. We can still Zoom each other. Because this is what happens. If we don't meet, then we get lazy. When we get lazy, then we look to get comfortable. When we get comfortable, then we become ineffective. And when we become ineffective, then we're just dead weight. 
That's all that happens. And then as dead weight, we become tools of the enemy to drag everybody else down too. So this is what we can do. We can actively be on our knees in prayer. We combat these spiritual forces at work by individually girding our lives with prayer. Individually girding our lives with worship. And then, even though we might be distant, we can then corporately strengthen and undergird our church, our communities, our families, our countries, our states, whatever it might be, in prayer and corporately in worship. We can do that. Because that are the t- those are the tools that our gracious God has given us to be able to fight. So let's fight in prayer and in worship with one mind, with one heart, to see the name of God glorified, his son exalted, and the power of his spirit made evident. And so with that, I'm going to close in prayer. And I really want you guys to take this on board. And then we kick things off. Just, let's just start praying. Just start praying and see what God can do. So with that, I just want to bow your heads. And let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the blessing of coming into your presence even now. We thank you that we can approach because of your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done, that we can enter the throne room of grace and ask for help in time of need. And, And right now, Lord, we ask for help. We ask for your will to be done in this country. We ask, Father, that your name will be proclaimed by your people. We ask, Lord, that as individuals, we will make the most of these blessings that you have given us to talk with you like this, to make requests known unto you, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, I pray that that will become such a part of our lives that we will not take such things for granted, that we will value them, that we will cherish them, and that we will protect them. Father, we pray for your church. Pray for GCC. We ask, Lord, that we will be of one heart and one mind. We ask, Lord, that we truly will, even though we might be distant physically, that we will reach out and that we will just raise the spirit of unity within each person's life, that with a phone call, with a text, with an email, whatever it might be, we can let them know that we are united, that we are of one heart and one mind. Father, we ask for your will to be done above all else. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much that we still have access to each other even now. And I ask, Father, that you will have your will done in Grace Christian Church, that it will be a a shining light, an aroma that is pleasing in your sight as we represent you to a lost and hopeless world. We'd ask you to dismiss us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.